G'day, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind, how it works, mental illness and mental health. I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. In the old days, you'd get a job, keep it usually for a long time, work full time and then at 65, retire. Stop working and never work again, full time to no time. These days, things are more fluid. Most have a few, even lots of different jobs, even different careers and retirement doesn't necessarily have to be an abrupt transition from full-time work to no work at all. So let's talk about retirement and mental health. Plenty of people talk about the financial side of retirement. We're going to talk about the mental health side. And let's start with what not to do. You've said that if you go abruptly from full-time work to 100% retired, move away from your social network to, uh, inverted commas, beach paradise, and haven't really thought about how you're going to spend all your free time, uh, your mental health may well be at risk. I have said that. Mm. Your brain will shrink. Your world will contract. Hence my other- Your brain will shrink literally? Literally. You're going to lose brain synapses. Yep. Okay. So I have been an advocate of the never retire as a simple statement. Yeah. And while you've had trouble dragging me into this episode because, you know, about retirement, I'm going, never retire. Right. But okay, but okay, transition. Change what you do. Taper. Change. Mm. Taper out of, change from. Now, James, you in your career apparently have changed, tapered while then enlarging, cutting down one, being a lawyer to become stand-up yeah, comedian, yeah. having transitioned across from one to another. You've transitioned. But I would imagine in, I don't know, a couple of decades, I will taper, that is, gradually do- Reduce what? Less work. Um, I don't know yet, but gradually do less and have more- What? More what are you going to do? Well, here's the challenge. Mm-hmm. Here's James' retirement plan coming up. Oh, okay. What are you going to do? Uh, well, I'll keep writing, that's for well, sure. Well, so you're not going to stop that? No. You're not retiring from writing? Yeah. I'll keep doing yoga. You might expand. Keep seeing my friends. So hang on. You haven't taken I like free time though. I really like it. Uh, So you're going to increase, go to the episode people on being alone. James is going to spend more time alone. Go go on long walks. (laughs) Long walk. Hang on. Okay. You're going to do more. Travel more. Travel more. Uh, Play more tennis. Play more tennis with Uh, friends. Hopefully someone on the other side of the net. Read more books and that. Read more books. Yeah. So what are you reducing? Well, just the amount of paid commitments I have. The stuff you don't like so much. Well, I like it all. I just would imagine that as I- So you're going to change the mix slightly. Yeah. You're going to be a little more indulgent. You're a little more financially secure. Hopefully. You're going (laughs) to- Perhaps. Hmm. If you are. Yeah. If you can. But you're not actually going to cut out and stop those productive things that you currently do. Well, I'll stop some of them. Uh, Sorry, uh, Right. I mean, I would imagine when I'm 80, if I'm not dead, if I, when I'm 80, I will, you know, maybe have a little bit less energy and not will want you? to do as many things. I don't know. True. Might. Well, I know some 80-year-olds that seem to have a bit less energy, a bit less physical capability. Do they have less energy or less mobility? No, less I mobility, this, I guess, yeah. <laughs> From the, I strongly personally identify with the musculoskeletally challenged in the world. Mm. I have less mobility these days than I had. I don't know that I'm less energetic or in my head I'm less energetic. Yeah, right. But I am physically slow. So other people look at me and they go, oh, you're a bit slow, Ian. I go, yeah, I know, physically, but not in my head. But we're not, you know, a lot of people have jobs that they don't necessarily 
you know, you're lucky. You got a job. You're lucky too. I'm lucky too. We've got jobs we like, but a lot of people. What have we done? What have we done during our midlives? Um, what? Jobs we like. Well, yeah, but not everyone's got them. Like uh, 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 some people have got jobs they're fine with, but they'd also be fine if they had enough money not having them. Okay, so and, and most life. people, and also it gets harder to have a job after you're 65. There's a lot of uh, a bias against older workers. And I do not want to perpetuate that here. No. If you're a very good 80-year-old radio producer, mm. radio host, mm. I think there might be one or two left on the ABC. Good on them. Yeah. Yeah, good I on them. I was really annoyed. You know, somebody when Fran Kelly went from morning whatever to appearing on TV, oh, she's too old to have that job. Mm. You're kidding. She's a national legend. You know, Barry Cassidy wants to come back any day and run insiders. It's fine with me. Wisdom, age, experience. Sure. Just because you're old doesn't mean you have stuff to contribute. Now, you made another really interesting comment, which I think is true. A lot of people are in jobs where they're not that satisfied with what they're doing. Yeah. But financially, they've had commitments, children, families, mortgages, right. and therefore they've had to in midlife not move closer to what they would have preferred. And therefore they're happy to taper. Yeah. I don't want to name or stop. I don't want to name particular professions. Good. So I won't. Yeah. But, you know, I do meet people who are in particular professions. They're very good at them. They've been doing them for 40 years. They've been financially very rewarding, but if they had a choice, they would not. And yeah. they want to taper that. Now, they've also often been very active. Let's say they've been active in law, finance, medicine, whatever, but they're a bit bored and they don't want to simply do that anymore. And they, but they've done it for security, finance, and they're skilled. They're the people that need to give this a lot of thought. If you're going to suddenly taper that, <coughs> if you're going to suddenly end that, which you're cognitively very engaged in, behaviourally very engaged in, I'd suggest you've got to have a plan. Yeah. So, I mean, let's try and work out some principles that if you are going to transition from working full-time to uh, to some form of semi or, or full-time retirement, the best ways to do that whilst taking care of your mental health. And I suppose one of them would be the amount of work you do, try not to go from full-time to none uh, in a very short time because it's much better, isn't it, to kind of reduce gradually maybe over some years. Yeah, this is where the best literature about your brain shrinks comes from, mm. the French <laughs> mm. who did this. At age 50, the French were still rioting about retirement, <laughs> their, right to, their right to be lazy, their right to retire, <laughs> their right to stop, as distinct from the right to work. Yeah, this is where the best evidence comes. Your brain shrinks really quickly. The synaptic connections between your nerve cells literally disappear when you take that away. Really bad idea. And then people become, then, then they become cognitively slower. Then they become more miserable. Then they lose motivation. <laughs> and, and then the people go, oh, you just got old. Okay, you didn't get old. The same thing happens at 50 or 60 or 70 if you do that, if you stop interacting with the world. Hmm. So, yes, what are you going to do? So this is the old gold watch, you know, 65, off you go, nowhere to go the next day, leave the suit in the cupboard, mm. go and sit in the garden, read the newspaper. So you need to think about that, you know, a year out, for example. If you're thinking, okay, I'm going to stop working in one year, I'm going to have 40 extra hours uh, Five a days week. a week yeah. or three days a week, whatever the working week is these days. Yep. What am I going to do with them? What are, what are the things I'm What in? cognitively hmm. and engagement with the world socially am I really going to do? And I, I think a really good question to ask, not necessarily, and don't wait till you're 65 to ask it, is what are the things I've always been interested in or always wanted to do that I haven't done? That I haven't had Just time. make a wish list. 
Don't wish list it. Plan it. Well, wish list first and then think, well, okay, one of them is go to Mars. That's not very practical. One of them is learn how to paint. That's pretty practical and not very expensive. So that's something I'm going to have a crack at. I might do it for two weeks and hate it, but it's something I'm going to try. Excellent opportunities. One day I'm going to learn Spanish. One day I'm going to learn a minute. Yep. Mm. I'm going to actually try and learn that musical instrument I've never really mm. With mm. things that take time and commitment and skill and classes, they'll you take can instruction. You do it on your own? Oh, classes? Well, they're going to take instructions or doing groups if I'm really going to pick it up. Like languages and music are two examples mm. where in groups and in others, particularly language, and you know, it goes with one of my other favourite preoccupations, travel. Yeah, you bet. But it's going to take money, it's going to take resources, it's going to take time, and it's going to take the sort of flexibility that I don't really have in my current work environment. So retirement, I'm thinking, in that sense, transition, ooh, excellent. On the other hand, people like myself have other things in my professional life that I'd like to continue, like you, like writing and being engaged in research, which yeah. I love, and being involved with young people who are involved in those areas. So I'm going to continue Arguing that. Arguing with the government? You'd never oh, I mean, that up. I don't know. That might be, <laughs> be on my list of, oh, my God, there's another new minister, another new government, same old problem. But I, I might get beyond that one. The principle you articulated there was thinking there are some things I like about my job, some things I don't. Is there some way of past retirement not doing any of the stuff I don't like, but continuing to do some of the stuff I like? Now, if I'm not working for that employer anymore, is it possible to do that sort of stuff, the good stuff, in some other way? Here's a big word, volunteer. A big opportunity to detach it. One of my favourite uh, professors and senior people retired a little while ago in his mid-60s, as appropriate. I said, what are you doing? I'm taking all those skills and volunteering and doing them for a non-government organisation. Taking my super. I went, wow. Some, some, non, some non-government organisation just acquired a guy with a huge amount of skill and he does not want to be paid. Mm. He wants to volunteer. He's got superannuation. He's quiet. He's not, doesn't want to get into that transaction. He's doing it. He feels great about it and others are going to get the benefit. And he wants to get down into a practical, real world, local, connected with other people doing stuff nice. on the ground. Great. Mm. Now, would you say he's gone to work? He says he's retired. I'd say he's transitioned to a really different way of you know being involved that's got years of productivity for him and for the world that he's part of. Purposeful activity. Purposeful activity. In my world, there are many old doctors who make, guess what, great teachers. They may not be great surgeons anymore or great doctors, but they're fabulous instructors. They want, to, they want to teach young people. They want to share the wisdom of their experience. You know, the universities have had the idea of emeritus professors put us on the bench as long as we can come back and talk to people <laughs> or old young people can talk to us or supervise other researchers. I don't like the idea of give up all the good things you've got and the wisdom and experience you've got and just park it on your own beach, on your own towel. You know, you've still got a lot to share which is good for others. The transgenerational aspects is good for our society mm. as well as being good for you. But there's also the opportunity if you're doing that every six months to think, is, is this still something I want to do? Is this becoming a hassle now? Like if you're 73 or something, do I, you know, do I really like it or is it more of an obligation? So you've got that flexibility oh, got that. too. This is the great thing about the thing you're calling retirement that I'm calling transition. Wow, the flexibility. Mm. Actually, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want a year. I've been lucky in my career to move in and out of academic practice, clinical practice. I mean, I'm a bit like you, not, not quite the extent you have, James, but, mm. but I've changed what I do quite a lot. So I've never done the same thing <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> but here's the big chance to go really flexible. 
Maybe I, I encounter colleagues who work with me and I say, what are you doing? I say, they say, nothing like I was doing at all. But now I'm doing these things I never really had a year to do or two years to do. I've written a book. I've learned a language. I've gone and walked the world that I never – and I don't want anything to do with – and I go, what are you going to do next? Oh, I might come back to that a bit later on. Hmm. But I'm cleared my head of that stuff for a while. Yeah. And that's interesting because then people often come back to those things with a new enthusiasm, a new passion, you know, for the thing. Oh, I, really mind, I actually wouldn't mind getting back to that. <laughs> a lot of people when they retire move, don't they? Often move north if they're in the southern hemisphere to somewhere warmer. And that has its danger, 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 danger. Because this is a great idea because we all want to lie on a beach, you know, in northern New South Wales or Queensland. Mm. If you go to the northern hemisphere, you see all those English people living in Spain. And finally, I'm going to go somewhere where the sun comes out. And I really think that's a good idea. And it's warm. And you get there and you go, how's it going? Hmm. Detached, don't know anyone. I'm not part of the local community anymore. Quite isolated. And those people age. They often do need more practical support. They need to be parts of communities. So this is like fine in theory. It looks great on the travel brochure. It looks great on the buy an apartment or condo in somewhere and really very problematic. Mm. So that one, I think people need to be really, really careful. If you uproot and move away from your family, your grandchildren, your social supports, your church, your footy club, really, how important are those things to actually mental health and well-being as we argue here constantly, James? So I'd argue, very, very, very important. Yeah. Others do other things, of course. Grandparents I love. I should be a better one myself. Often they move closer to where their kids are right. and be supportive and take on new roles. Lots of grandparents take on childcare roles. Wow, I couldn't, but lots do, and I have great, great admiration for them. They take on really good – it's really good, guess what, for the cognitive skills of both the child and the grandparent. If you don't want to get dementia, become a child carer of your own grandchildren or others, take on those roles. You know, fabulous. Mm. Little kids love old people. They love them. Yeah, right. They get on like a house on fire. Cool. And it's good for both. And good if you want both. older people to stay mobile, have them chase a few young kids. <laughs> yeah, right. The interaction, the physical interaction is great. So that brings us on. So we've talked about uh, work, purposeful activity, some things you're interested in. Social engagement. Want to do. Social engagement. Volunteering, social engagement. And that might involve... So that mean, that doesn't mean don't move, I guess. It does mean consider that as a factor. If you're going to move, that's the one I think people should be real. The travel brochures, they look great. Buy an apartment in Spain, buy an apartment in Byron Bay, whatever. Go to the Gold Coast. More antidepressants prescribed on the Gold Coast than anywhere else in Australia. I have met the most fascinating set of widows on the Gold Coast. They move with their husband. Guess what happened? He dropped dead. Now they're there on their own. Yeah, right. And they've got to, you know, go, where are your kids? Where are your grandkids? Where's your, you know? No, now, many people make these adaptations and they like, again, the flexibility and they are finally living in a beautiful part of the country they've always wanted to live in. And But just that one I think people should really think seriously about mm. before uprooting and selling. Others do, of course, the great Australian grey nomad thing. They're going to drive around the country for three years. Yeah. You know, like see places you've never seen. But, but I wouldn't that, mind doing that. But that would be even worse for social connection. Ha! Huh. Depending, depending. They mm. well, those people who are good at it, extroversion, socialisation, they form groups. They meet lots of new people. They get out and experience the world. Go to caravan parks, meet people. A lot of people do that for a year or two, mm. then, but without selling up and becoming, right. you know, they're getting out in the world and doing stuff. Wish they'd done it at eighteen, but now they're doing it at sixty-seven. Mm. <laughs> good on. Well, there's while, while, while they're still fit enough to do it. That's going to get hard by the time you're eighty. 
So that brings us to taking care of your, we'll talk about taking care of your mind, but taking care of your body. Physical health. Yeah. So that is dictated. I, well, what's you, you mentioned? Body now, clocks. Come on. What does work mm, make you do? Get up. I had to get up early this morning. Yeah, right. Oh, the sun wasn't up. There's people who know me, I'm not good with that. Mm. But, you know, goes to work, gets up, active. It gets you up. People who start retiring, mm, stayed up till three in the morning watching Netflix, didn't get up this morning, didn't go to work, didn't go to coffee, often get out of the regularity of their body clock, of their sleep-wake cycle, and their physical activity goes down. They, you say you're going to walk. You said you're going to do all play tennis. You said you're going to do all those things. What would you do? I didn't um, watch Netflix till three in the morning and then I didn't really do much and I didn't have a reason to go out, so I didn't. So a quick uh, refresher on the body clock. We have an episode on it, but essentially if your body clock gets out of whack by meaning- Your mind will follow. Yeah. And so ideally we should be getting up, you know- around or just after the sun comes up, going to bed about 10 or 11. And if we do that- And being physically active during the day. And as you age, yeah. this is the problem. Musculoskeletally, I don't want to whinge about my own problems, but musculoskeletally, this is often a challenge. Yeah. In fact, it's a challenge for many people long before retirement. Those, particularly men historically, who've been in physically hard professions in building and construction, you know, physically, they're often a bit had it by 45, not yeah. 65. Mm. So it's harder. You know, it's harder to do that because you've got a lot of- physical constraints, but it's more important than ever that you do actually do it. Mm. So, you know, when you see those grandfather chairs and you just see people just sitting in the, you know, that's really bad. So being physically active. Now, this is where you see, I really like older people who are parts of swimming groups and walking groups. And you said my favorite thing, tennis, socialize and active and outside, get in one of those. Well, be somewhere where there's somewhere nice you want to walk along. Somewhere, yeah, nice to walk. You know, there's a big difference, isn't there, between, oh, there's a beach nearby. I really like walking along the beach and there's lots of crowded city streets nearby. Maybe I won't. So those of us who are lucky enough to, on the eastern seaboard of Australia, with fabulous national parks up and down the place, walk. Actually, just walk. A lot of – one of the things often older people can do – Is walk. But do less of is walk. Did I really have to take the bus or drive? Could I have – I got 45 minutes. Could I have walked? Big shout out to my dad at 88, still hammering out 6,000 steps a day. What a bloke. Go for it. You can monitor that, as we often know. You can look at that. Yeah. So one of the things you see in retirement sometimes is, oh, yeah, I was going to be active. I was going to play tennis. I was going to go bushwalking, and now I'm doing 3,000 steps a day. This matters. Mm. And unfortunately, you've got to keep doing it in order to do it. Now, I don't say this just from a physical health point of view. I'm saying it from a mental health point of view because it actually is reinforcing it because your sleep cycle does tend to deteriorate with age. You need it. Mm. So you've got to take care of it, which means living in harmony with your body clock and uh, in harmony with the chemical things that are happening inside our body, which are consistent with getting up, you know, 6, or six 7, 7.30 or whatever, going to bed at 10 or 11, cortisol, all that. Um, and here's melatonin, the upside. all that. Here's the upside of that life transition. Now you've got that flexibility. If you're working the five-day working week pre-COVID or the new three-day working week and you had to go to the office and you had to do many other things, you probably didn't have the opportunity to do that mm. in the middle of the day or in the morning or spend time at that. Now you've got no excuse. <laughs> yeah. If you want to stay mentally healthy, you've got to build in the physical activity bit, the regularity of that which you possibly have lost by not going to the office. And I guess you've got to recognise, don't you? Like, is it, is it statistically true that one of the peaks for mental health problems in people is in the year after they abruptly retire? Yes. 
So there's two get- things going on here. There's a later age of onset of mental health problems mm. related to brain change, vascular disease, things that are happening. So we talk about, we've talked most of the time about the age, peak age of onset of mental health problems, 15, 16. Well, guess what? There's a second one, which used to be about 65, is now about 70. Mm. So, yes, but it's also associated with this other big transition, moving out of regular work to retirement, meaning that a lot of retirement in the past was not very productive and actually did lead to the onset. So the importance of this episode, which you have championed, James, is we don't want that to happen. We must take preventative action where we can. Yeah. So so recognising that that's a risk period. Yes. And ensuring that you're not left with a, oh, my God, it's, you know, 8.30 in the morning and I have no idea what I'm going to do today. And it's, you know, just stretching out ahead. You bet. Mm. No plan. Because it's not unstructured. People are oh, going to love the lack of structure. I'm going to love freedom. the flexibility. What's in your diary? Nothing. Mm. What about next week? Oh, I might have dinner with Fred on my Thursday. <laughs> yeah. okay, that's not exactly compared with what you were doing in the workplace or your active other life. That's pretty low. And is it often – well, I'm wondering whether people who experience – and I guess it would often be depression post-retirement – do so – there are people who've had a history of that in the past or or even first time ever at 71 years of age, a year after they've retired, a bit of both? If you've had it in the past, if you know that you're vulnerable yes. to that, our favourite topic, vulnerability, if experience has told you, I have a tendency for this to develop in the wrong circumstances, then you need to be thinking, okay, mm. I really need to have a plan because mm. I could easily fall back. This will be another one of those life transitions. If it really happens for the first time out of the blue, it's a bit more complicated because here, what is your physical health status? What else might have happened during that period? So sometimes when people have developed other brain-related problems, people go, oh, it's just retirement. Oh, that's what's caused it. Mm. Um, further medical assessments, you know the one, um, oh, you should consult your doctor. Sometimes uh, be careful here that we don't attribute to retirement things that are actually age-related other brain problems. Yeah. And and I would imagine if you've had workaholic tendencies, man, I've really enjoyed my job and I've thrown myself into it and maybe I've neglected other things, but because, you know, I don't know, I just really want to be in the office or in the workplace and get things done and it's exciting. For 20 or 30 years, you're probably at higher risk of having uh, some sort of mental health issue after you retire. Yeah. As has been noted for ex-politicians, ex-prime ministers, yeah. ex-CEOs, they were the most important. They ran the world, hands on the levers, to use the Paul Kidding expression, of the economy or the world, and people go suddenly, um, no, nah. <laughs> we've given it to somebody mm. else. Um, in fact, we don't really care what you think, and um, you're actually not important, and the bloke who's followed you afterwards or the woman who's followed you afterwards actually could do better than you. <laughs> so, 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 so people who've been in high-powered, powerful, decision-making jobs often struggle. So if you identify as someone whose sense of self has been largely dependent on their work, mm. right, if, mm. that, that is you, – you really have to go through a transition if you stop working of working out where that sense of being a valuable a person of some worth comes from, don't yes. you? Yes. It's not coming from there anymore. No. And this no one, one cares about you anymore at the okay. place you used to work. Let's be clear. No one cares. And in fact, they prefer the new person. Yeah. So this is one of those really interesting developmental psychology things in uh, uh, Eric Erickson, the Ericksonian kind of notion of moving from that, being self-preoccupied, to 
generativity. Can you transition to caring about the next generation rather than yourself? As the big psychological transition that people need to make. Mm -hmm. It's no longer about you and how good you were in the job. It's about your capacity to support the next generation. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, right. Because I I can see it as a mental state idea. I must say in the the professions that I'm in, I mentioned older doctors, university professors, others who become more interested in mentoring, supporting the development of others than in Mm. furthering their other career, than than in continuing to further their own career. I'm going to be the world's best researcher till 82 and then I'm going to drop dead. (laughs) But but nobody's going to follow me. No one is ever going to be as good as me. I'm going to still win the research grant. I'm going to still be the leader of that group till they take me out of here in a box. Versus those who go, now look, what I should really be working on at some stage <laughs> is who follows me? How does this work continue? How do I continue? And this is both within families, within professions, within communities. It's a really interesting psychological transition. Often brought to front of mind, I must say, my own kind of world by the birth of grandchildren and others. Oh, it really is, you know, two generations now. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm going that way. What am I contributing to what's coming? And that's an interesting mental shift. Yeah, Definitely. But I, yeah, that is interesting. But I also think it's about, for the last 30 years I've had, and usually, you know, if you're in a, in the workforce for a long time, you get more responsibility and you're treated like you're more important the longer you're there. Not everyone, but some people, you know, I've had stimuli coming in. I've had challenges. I've had opportunities. I've had praise. I've had criticism. And uh, that's really driven my sense of who I am. Now, without any of that, really, I have to get all that sense of who I am from other places. So you really got to think, where am I going to get it from? You know, I've had this thing and sometimes I've liked my job, sometimes I've hated it, but for 40 or 50 years, I've had this thing kind of giving me a a, a feedback all the time Yep. and and things to do all the time. I don't have to think about what I have to do. No, you didn't have to think about it. There's a list every morning when I get to work. It happened. So, As you said, you went to work, you got praise and criticism, whether you wanted yeah. to do it or not. <laughs> so really, I can imagine some people, you know, who had workaholic tendencies thinking, who the hell am I? And what's the point of me? And not only that, I'm going to die. <laughs> the other thing that happens yeah. at this age is, no matter how you, and I, I have friends now, I've got this sort of counting going on. How many, how many good years do you reckon you've got? Mm. So if you take the number I currently am and take away the average life expectancy, so I've got 15 years. Or I've got 10 or 20, whatever they you know what I mean. I, I like to ask people, just just exactly how long do you think you're going to be here? And some have worked it out, 92 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Others go, oh, I'm yeah. trying. Well, the interesting ones go, I'm trying not to think about it. Should you think about it or not? Well, I think it's a reality. Well, it is a reality, but should, that doesn't mean you should think about it. Like well, I think very infrequently about my own death. Well, it causes, let's just say. I'm aware it'll happen. Well, it causes people, you, you were talking about the mental transition, the uh, transition identity, like where, I, so here's one of the issues that comes into play. Okay, let's say I've got 15, 20 years, just whatever. What is it? What do I want to do? But also, what's my interaction with the world? In the past, it, the world interacted with me. <laughs> there's a lot of feedback. There's a lot of other things, which had to do with my value. My relative value was sort of played out every day. <laughs> now, you know, is that how I want to continue to do things till I drop off? Or am I going to have to develop a different view of what matters of myself mm, and where mm. feedback comes from? Again, why I raise the issue of like kind of volunteering and involvement in other community groups in a different kind of way. People feel fabulous about volunteering and they get fabulous feedback from the groups they volunteer for. So they get a lot of positive affirmation about this new kind of role. Not that you're in charge, but by what you're contributing. Mm. 
in families and grandparenting and other examples we were using earlier on. So I think the psychological transition is really important. And part of it has to do with one's own mortality. Yeah, right. It comes to an end. So the the value add, rather than just withering and dying and just sort of petering out, <laughs> what is the most productive way to spend that time psychologically as well as kind of as an important member of a community? And, and what and not just being a burden. I hate the intergenerational reports of our economists. Oh, you cost money and you're a burden. But, but what if you grapple with that? Mm. What if you've had a pretty structured job mm. and you've never really – had to think a lot about those sort of things. You didn't think about them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You I know. didn't think about them. now. But what if you get to the point, okay, now, but I just don't know. There's nothing. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know. Right. I, so for some people, it's a period of existential despair. Yes. I had it sorted. I was very important. I was skilled. <laughs> and now they don't want me. And I kind of don't know who I am. Mm. So this sort of loss of identity, you know, I really don't know who I am. And am I just that thing to be parked in a chair? People are being shuffled off to yeah. some thing and I'm a burden to society and I really I really don't have a good idea about myself. So it's kind of interesting to encounter people who really are having an identity crisis yeah. <laughs> in this post-retirement period because they've lost exactly as you said. And also, they've never really thought about it. And I'd suggest you need to think about it differently. It's not the same as a 20-year-old who's struggling with their identity or a 25-year-old mm. trying to build an identity. Now you've got to, I'd suggest, adapt. In what way? Because like we've got to adapt to the reality that you're an older person with a different set of capabilities with a mortality. It's going to end. Mm. But that sounds like pretty depressing. Could be. Yeah. Then again, I love old people. They're going to make the most of it. But that's easy to say in an abstract way. No, no, no. We're not abstract here. This, so we're talking about active choice here. Mm. The danger is, as you highlighted at the start, just drifting into something mm. that turns out to become miserable because you never really thought about it. Yeah. And you just took the Pollyanna-ish thing. Oh, retirement will be great. I'll have hours <laughs> to lie on the beach. I won't have to do those things anymore. No boss is going to tell me what to do. If mm. I want to sleep in, if I want to stay up all night and watch the Ashes test matches, I will. And then it happens. Mm. And then, you know, the people at home are going, can we get him out of the house? Can we get him out? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone know what to do with him? Do we have to ask him? Has he got a plan? Is he just going to be a burden? So, so if that's happening, th there is a line, isn't there, between that sort of existential angst about who am I, what should I be doing in these last years of my life, and I'm depressed. I should go and seek treatment. For so a lot depression. of people, yes, the drift in, well, the lack of, so a proportion of people who are vulnerable for other reasons do drift into depression. Mm. And then you have this sort of thing. Now, I've met a few of those people in my professional life. I go, what are you doing exactly? What were you doing? Oh, well, I was this and that and that, blah, 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 and now I'm doing nothing. <laughs> and, and the Sounds plan pretty was, depressing. And the plan was exactly what? Yeah, right. Oh, well, I was looking for, yeah, no, 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 come on. So you encourage them to then make a plan and think – you almost become like a retirement counsellor. Like, you know, your depression is related to the fact that you have no it's sense a situational. of purpose. Yeah. You've lost, you you've lost purpose. You've lost social connection. You've lost the positive feedback and affirmation from the world but on which you, you, your rather, you know, yeah. personality was rather dependent. So where are you going to get it? Where are you going to get it? We're not going to have a psychotherapeutic whatever. We're not going to make you a different person. We're going to go back to what makes you function. Yeah, right. And, and physically and then socially. Now, of course, the rest of the world conspires against you 
I might have told the story before, but I've been I've reached a certain age which is referred to in the superannuation world as preservation age. I was visited by people who told me I'd reached preservation age. I said, mm. "What? Put me in a bottle in a museum? What, mm. what are we talking here?" Now, Ian, have you thought about your retirement income and what you will require when you're doing nothing? I went, "Excuse me, I still have children in school. I've got grandchildren. I'm a medical professional. I think I'm still a useful researcher. I am not doing nothing. No, no, no. But we're from the superannuation industry. Right. You will, and you've reached preservation age, and you now have the option of doing nothing. And you're okay, get out of here. Mm. Would you leave my office immediately, please? Mm. We have a lot of other financial well, and came, other. They came to see you. I oh, was it? Yes. Wow. To assist me oh. in my nothingness. <laughs> That I would be financially secure in my nothingness. Yes, no. I got a bit hot in the collar. I got a bit worked up. Oh, did you? Well, it's a socially bad. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like. They're working. How, what I'm saying is they, they were very nice people. I just want to be clear here. They were doing their job as they felt responsible because that's the way our society is structured. But, but there were a set of assumptions they were wow. making you don't think are valid. Not only valid, I would suggest psychologically harmful. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like I was, I was taking this. What could be the worst thing for me? <laughs> for those who know me, well, stop working. But yeah, exactly. oh, you'd be, Park me you'd over be a nightmare. There. Park me over there. Shoop. Change his office locks. Get rid of him. Kick yeah. him out. Don't let him practice as a university professor, researcher, doctor. Get rid of him. End the podcast. And give him a check and a gold watch and <laughs> cut off the podcast. Mm. Shut down the microphones. We'll all be better off without him. Do you have any? You know, in your role at the at the Brad and Center, do you have any? Age you have to retire by? No. University professors are smart people. They were the first group in Australia to actually get an age discrimination case up that you cannot have age. There's no compulsory retirement. You don't want it to be like the US Supreme Court, though, <laughs> where people are hanging on till they're. Oh, I don't know. I know a few, few university professors who want to be carried out in the box. <laughs> they are not quitting until they're carried out. There's I don't a bit think, of a I don't think, there. I don't think that's a good. Now, now hmm. I am in favour of what you. Have I don't know what we're calling his here. With the transition, you're calling it retirement. Mm. I think people need to have a plan. So those who say I'm going to stay here till eighty six hundred and five until yeah. they take me out of the box, I don't think that's a good plan. No. Generally speaking, so I think trying to work out. I like your tapering down one aspect while what's the expression? Tapering up, <laughs> expanding the other, the transition into what those other roles are. Let me mention my dad again. He did it brilliantly. So he used to uh, work for himself as a management consultant. And then when he hit about 70, he kind of just became a a freelance consultant, right? You know, just had a one-man business. And he he said, James, every year I just make the threshold uh, a little bit higher. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the threshold of how interesting the work is. So at 73 – it's just got to be a little bit more interesting than I would say yes to in 72. At, at 72 and at 74, even a bit more interesting. So gradually he just kept more and more interesting work and did less and less. He'll tape it out. What Wasn't a wise smart? man. Can we hear him on the podcast? What a wise man. You just reminded me, my own dad, who was a university professor, he was in the previous thing where you had to retire at 65. Yes. So he stopped doing that, which he loved. Then he had to develop a whole new life as a consultant, like you know, yep. selling his expertise back to government and committees wasn't all for sale, but, you know, in different roles, consulting. He loved it. Yeah. He said, I should have done this years ago. <laughs> I should have taken my skill out where it was more valuable, which he continued then into his 80s. Mm. And as my mother remarked, he was much happier <laughs> for that 15 years of yeah, his life, right. doing what he really liked to do, contributing his expertise in the way that he wanted to mm. outside the formal structure 
of the university professor. But no doubt at the start of that, it would have been a bit scary. He was terrified. Yeah. I, so that's part of it. He was terrified. Yeah. He had a role as a university professor, a very important person in that thing, and the idea that he'd give all that up, which he loved, mm. to do this other uncertain, less structured thing, pretty scary. But, of course, he and my, myself and others, we're in professions where this, this age thing doesn't really matter. In fact, we get greater flexibility. And I love your dad's bit. I'm going to take that on board. Yeah. Wow. Next year. No, nah, that is boring. <laughs> you fail to reach the threshold. I'm yeah. dying to tell That's you. That's right. I'm dying it's to kind tell of empowering. You. Oh, you bet. You know. Can I take that one forward to the world? I'm sorry. You failed to reach my interest. <clears throat> I'm going to write some emails back recently. Can, Ian, can you please contribute? Oh, no. Look, the threshold's gone up this year, and that's just not that interesting. That's not quite. Last year, I would have done it. This year, no. <laughs> All right. Well, that is retirement. The key message think about it before it happens. Any questions or comments, if you want to suggest further topics, please send us an email at miningyourmind2, mindingyourmind numeral 2 at gmail.com. Uh, the book version of Minding Your Mind is out. Minding Your Mind is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth, mental health, further helps available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them. You can call Lifeline on 13 11